Good. All right. I got to ask first off, how many of you were uh, there last night at 580 for the parenting conference? Uh, some way, shape, or form. Good deal. Uh, what a blessing that was last night. So good to have you back. Uh, how many of you, more importantly, helped volunteer last night or tonight for the children? Thank you very much. Uh, blessing to hear God's word. It's a blessing also to be able to hear God's word without some distractions. So um, thank you very much for what you were doing with that. Uh, it really is my privilege to introduce our guest speaker this morning, Mike Osborne. Uh, before I do that, I've got to remember, I've been told twice now. So just to make sure there's no confusion, tonight is not at 580. There will be uh, another, the, the, basically the conclusion, the finale of our parenting conference here at this church tonight, starting at, I got this wrong too, it's 5 o'clock, not 530. Uh, and we'll get to do some more practical where the rubber meets the road kind of small group breakouts based on age-appropriate stuff. You can look in the August newsletter for more information on that. Now, with that being said, it really is. I've sat under this man's teaching uh, whenever we were stationed at Delaware um, for my, my wife and I when we were, our family was there in Delaware. Uh, I mentioned this in the first service, and there's no need to try and change it up. I'm just going to say it like it is. I, I think that he is best introduced with using Scripture, and that is Ephesians chapter 4 talks about unity, all the ones, uh, how we should be one as a body, uh, and that kind of stuff. And we've been singing about unity, been preaching about unity uh, for the last several months. And with that being said, there's a little caveat down later in verses 11, 12, and 13. And it talks about how the Lord gave some to be apostles and preachers and evangelists and pastors and teachers with one specific reason. And that was to bring the people of God to fulfill acts of service. Why? So that they could be one in unity. Uh, I have been watching this man's ministry for the last couple of years and even affirmed it again last night. I'm so thankful for the calling that the Lord has placed on him, the truth, the passion, the conviction that he brings God's word uh, to his church as well as uh, to us last night and as he will do this morning. So y'all please, from all the way from Delaware, y'all please welcome Mike Osborne. did this in the first service, and I'll do it again, and this will probably be the last time in my life, but good morning, y'all. Uh, <laughs> originally from New York, don't hold that against me, um, and we say you guys, good morning, you guys, so that's a greeting from the Northeast. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be there, and then we'll be kind of in and around the letter of the Ephesians, I just want to say thank you to the church for inviting me out. Um, it's been a real blessing uh, to be here, and um, those of you that I've met have been warm and receiving, and uh, just seeing your countenances as I've spoken and, and given a few talks, just know that the Lord's presence is with you, and that's very encouraging to me, so I just want to affirm you uh, as a church and just thank you for the welcome that I've been given. Um, a little bit about me. I think the guys at the back there have a yeah great a picture of my family. For those of you who were at the conference last night, you saw that. But uh, it's my wife Julie there on the left. We've been married for 13 years, and the Lord's been kind and faithful to us to preserve us and grow our marriage. And so blessed by her. And those are my three girls. Um, as I said last night, I have other pictures that are better, but it usually takes us about six pictures to get a good one on Easter. So that was like number three that were just. <laughs> didn't quite make the cut, but I figured I'd throw that up there anyway. So uh, my girls are 11, 9, and 8, Hannah, Carolyn, and Abby. And so it's a joy to come and talk to you about the gospel and to talk to you about parenting. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, and then I'm going to pray and we'll jump into it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, so there's a contrast, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So those two things are mutually exclusive. Provoking your kids to anger is excluded from bringing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then you won't be provoking them to anger. Father, it's amazing that you share that title with human fathers and parents. And so we praise you this morning that you are a generous, a wise, a sacrificial, a powerful, and good Father to us through Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray 
above all this morning that your fatherly wisdom and care would be felt in our hearts and that would change us and cause us to trust you and obey you as our heavenly father please father show us your goodness and wisdom this morning in the spirit in jesus name i pray amen so there are few things in life that have as high as stakes as high of stakes as parenting okay um the joys that come with and are associated with having children and watching them grow and mature is kind of hard to put into words. You know, when your child is, is born and, you know, you're there in the hospital room or you've just brought them home and you look at them and you're just, like, filled with wonder and this kind of, like, inside of you is just like, man, this is so cool and kind of weird because you like see your face in their face <laughs> it's like how did that happen that's so and it's like you look at your wife you're like this came out of you this is amazing and there's just so much and as you watch them grow you know um, to see them mature and then you know when your kid walks you're like so happy you're so like you walked which is like so like totally normal like none of us were like man you walked in here that is so great of you no but when your kids you're like well and, and then they learn to talk and so you you are just filled with joy you know words like delight and gladness and hope and, but those words don't even really do justice to what we kind of feel they you know that's just a, a shadow almost of what's going on in our hearts and then as as the, they grow older and they start to to do things and accomplish things and and you see them uh, it's just amazing um, so I told some of the folks last night I, I do soccer stuff and and I love to play still like uh, I coach it I love to play it um, but I'm getting to the point where you know my playing days are pretty much numbered um, so my wife used to tell me when we when I was younger she would say you know go win do a good job and now it's like, don't get hurt. So, that, any of you guys ever said to your husband, you know, just don't get hurt? Well, that didn't happen a few months ago. I did get hurt, and so I've been sidelined for a while. But anyway, I love to play and uh, love to compete there. I never thought I would get so much joy from watching someone else play until I started to watch my kids play. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I, and my wife is very reserved, her her. You know, she, she's just kind of, kind of like, I don't want to say stoic in a bad way, but she's very reserved. Um, if she hears this, she, she won't like that I said it. But my father-in-law told me when we got married that she has all the emotion of a cold, dead fish. That's a quote. <laughs> so he, he's a colonel in the Marines, uh, retired colonel and pastor. So, you know, just, you just my wife's very composed, which is tr tremendous, and I, I love that about her. But when my daughter scored a goal to tie it up with two minutes to go in this meaningless game. She's out of her chair and woo! That's like, like, who are you? I've never seen you do that. And I hadn't. I'd never seen her do that. So just the joy. And that, I mean, that's just something as simple as a, as a sport. But I mean, think about the joy that fills the heart when your kids walk in the truth or they, they love their neighbor or they, you know, maybe they sing praise to God or you begin to see them like maybe even leading, you know, whatever they might be doing. You know, for the Lord's like, wow, the, the joy in that is, it's, you know, it's, it's inexpressible. It's amazing. On the flip side of the parenting coin, though, is the heartache that can come when there's brokenness in the lives of our children. And it's, you know, if the joys of parenting are up here, the sorrows can match it or maybe even exceed it at times. And brokenness can come in the form of of death, um, my I keep on wanting to say I shared this this morning, but that's how you do it here. It's two services, so of course I share it in the morning. <laughs> um, my sister uh, died tragically, suddenly in a car accident ten years ago. She was 21. She was the only girl. She was the youngest child, 
and to watch what my to watch my parents and I, I felt grief and I you know I cried and, and it, it, maybe some of you have experienced that in your family as well that kind of tragic loss but to see what was going on in my my mom and my dad I mean I will never forget the, the morning after um, my dad just like fell to the ground and was just sobbing and the you know that kind of sobbing where the, there's heaving, like, like they can't get a breath? The, the pain of that loss was, you know, you talk about grief, you talk about despair, you talk about hopelessness. But those words, again, don't really do justice to what was going on there in my dad at that time and my mom's heart. You know, it was bad, and the reason I say it was in the morning is because you know how you know, you, you, especially maybe, you know, husbands, but wives as well. You know, you've had a really bad day. It's like, like next day you get up, all right, all right I'm going to fix whatever happened yesterday. You kind of get a fresh start. Well, that, when he woke up, he knew that that fresh start was never going to come again. I think that's what overcame him in that moment. But there's more than just, like, that kind of sickness and death brokenness that we experience in our children. But as Christian parents, we can know the estrangement of our children from the Lord and how that can just cause such heartache and maybe this is foolish to do but to kind of evaluate those two different trials it's like it's one thing for my sister to have died tragically and in our mind prematurely but definitely in the lord's timing but my sister walked with the lord she knew the lord she had this journal that we read through it was just like she had a sweet relationship with jesus she was on her way to china to teach english as a second language and be a missionary and there is no question that my sister was trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of her sins, and she is with the Lord today. And so as hard as that was, there's still joy in our hearts knowing she's with Jesus. But when your child is walking away from the Lord, it's really difficult. And there's more uncertainty and doubt and difficulty. And so that raises the stakes for parenting for us. It's, it's a very significant and a high calling that we have and. Uh, one of the mentors I had, his name is Tim Jordan, he said, your present parenting will decide much of your future earthly happiness. Scripture bears this out in Proverbs 10. It says, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son, grief to his mother. To have a fool for a son bring grief. There is no joy. There is no joy for the father of a fool. Proverbs 17, 21. John says it in 3 John, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. And so the stakes in parenting are very high because your, your joy or your sorrow in life is, gonna, is going to be tied to what goes on in the life of your children. And so parenting is very important. But it's not just about us and our happiness. Our parent, you know, that would be a very kind of man-centered view. That would be using the Bible, in a sense, for our own self-fulfillment. There is another reason that builds on top of that that actually raises the stakes even higher, and that's that it's not just that your happiness and joy and peace is significant and as important those are, but the Lord's name is at stake in how Christians parent. In the Old Testament, the people of God, in Judges chapter 2, it says... After this, a whole generation, after this generation had been gathered to their fathers, that was a way of saying that generation died, passed on, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now why did a whole generation grow up that didn't know the Lord and didn't know what he had done for Israel? There's only one reason why that could have happened, and that is that the people of God had ignored and disobeyed God's command to faithfully teach the works and the will of God to the next generation. That's Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall teach us diligently to your children. So a whole generation of Israelites, of the people of God, grew up that didn't really know the Lord or His ways. Instead, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped the various gods of the people around them. And that's exactly what happens when you don't pass the faith on, a real, living, experiential faith from you to your children, then your children are going to worship the gods of the people around them, of the culture. They're going to worship beauty. They're going to worship money. They're going to worship sex, whatever it might be. 
And so this provoked the Lord to anger because his name was being dragged through the mud. He was being treated like the other Baals and Ashtaroths and other gods. Oh, he's just another one of these gods. And it makes no difference in the life of the people and how they pass on this faith. In the New Testament, Titus 2 says to the young woman here, now it, it has broader applications, just stay with me for a second. It says, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands. Why? So that the word of God may not be reviled. So again, there, it is kind of, a, kind of limited there to young women, but what's, what's he saying? He's saying, I want family life to be healthy and productive and good. So just generally speaking, just good. Husbands loving their wives, loving their children, and all of that, not just for the family's sake, but so that outsiders wouldn't look in and revile the word of God. Okay, these people say that they're God's people, and now look, look at the chaos that's in the home. And so the joy and the peace in your home is supposed to come from Christ, and it's supposed to then be for Christ. So the stakes in parenting are high in that they're connected. <laughs> Much of your earthly life and, and joy will be there, but greater than that is that as Christian parents, the name of the Lord is at stake. So, you know, all that's at stake is just your earthly happiness and the glory of God. <laughs> so, so I would say that's crucial for us to be diligent and understanding our roles and responsibilities as parents um, and what it means to be parents who are shepherding our children's hearts, to use that book title, to the Lord and for the Lord. So I think Ephesians chapter 6 is really going to help us in this. Um, Ephesians 6 specifically addresses the fathers, but of course it has general application for parents. And so you'll hear me kind of doing that this morning, both, both addressing fathers specifically or parents more generally. And I think for the big idea here, for, based on what we, how we've looked at Scripture to this point, that the, the word of, or excuse me, the, the good, for the good of our families and for the glory of God, we need to disciple our children in the ways of the Lord. So you see that from the introduction? For the good, for the good of our lives, our joy, our peace, our happiness in Christ, for that reason... And then for the greater reasons, for the name, the glory of God, we must disciple our children in the ways of the Lord. And I specifically choose the word disciple because discipleship is the passing on of truth, not just cognitively, not just intellectually, but experientially as well from one person to the next, from one generation to the next generation. You see, Jesus, as he made his disciples, it wasn't just that he gave mental information to them, but he lived with them. He modeled things for them. So it's, and this is our church, we declare and demonstrate the faith of Christ in our homes to our children. And that will be for our good and for their good and for the glory of God. So that's what we want to look at this morning. We need to disciple our children in the ways of the Lord for the good of our families and the glory of God. So there's two things that we want to look at from this verse. There's a negative side and a positive side. On the negative side, it says don't discourage your children to anger. And on the positive side, you need to disciple them in the ways of the Lord. So let's look at not discouraging our children to anger. Uh, first of all, uh, in this day, you need to know that the fathers had authority, just like we still experience today. People assume that fathers have authority over their children. That's a good cultural assumption to make. God built that into fathering. But in first century Ephesus there, uh, Greco-Roman culture, fathers had like absolute authority over their children, even to the point of if you didn't like the gender, the father could have the child killed. Now, we're not really far away from that in America anyway, but that's a whole other sermon. But, yeah, so oftentimes, and as you might imagine, many girls were murdered because the dad didn't want a girl. And there was no civic culpability. The government said, that's fine. So, I mean, it, once you've done that, like, you've got authority over absolutely everything. Fathers could sell their children into slavery. Oftentimes, again, that happened to the girls, but also with sons at times. So, there was, there is authority, and everyone kind of knows and assumes that fathers ought to and do have authority over their children, but I think everybody also knows that fathers tend to abuse the authority that they have from God. And certainly these fathers in that situation would have been tempted to abuse their authority. And so Paul says, 
Don't abuse your authority by making your kids angry. Don't do that. That's not consistent with who God is as your father and what it means to follow Jesus. So don't abuse your authority. I love this quote from, uh, we have the book back there at the table. Uh, I mentioned it last night. It's called Father Hunger by Doug Wilson. And uh, he illustrates this point well for us of what the father's authority is supposed to be for. He says, in Deuteronomy, we are treated to an obscure law that prohibits boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. Like, how random. Yeah, I went to church this morning, what did he talk about? Boiling baby goats in mother's milk. It's like, what? And he says, what's the point of that? He says, the principle is clear. At that point in my book, I'm like, well, it's not that clear to me, you better explain it. If God has given something that is designed for the nourishment of life, mother's milk is designed for the nourishment of life, that thing, the mother's milk, should not be transformed into an instrument of death, using the mother's milk to boil, to kill the baby goat. So if God has designed something to give life, that thing shouldn't be flipped on its head and bring about death or suffering or pain. It's the same kind of things with fathers. A father's authority was given for life, not for death. It's designed for giving, not for grasping or grabbing. It's authority to sacrifice on the behalf of another, not an authority to claim tribute or honor from those who are under it. I thought that's wonderful. Dads, God has given you authority in your home and over your children, but he has specifically given you that authority to be life-giving for your children and not to abuse them or harm them or bring them to anger. So I think there's two ways, generally speaking, um, that we as fathers abuse our authority. We overuse it or we underuse it. Overuse it is kind of overbearing father. Underusing is kind of an absent or an indulgent father or a passive father. So the overbearing father, let me give you a couple of traits that might uh, help you identify to see if this is maybe where you are and if you need to make some course corrections, repent. And um, I came up with this list uh, in about four or five minutes because I didn't need to research commentaries. I didn't need to check psychologists. All I had to do was, like, look in the mirror because I struggle with being this overbearing father. So you might be struggling with overbearing father if you've got too many house rules. You might be leading your children to anger because you've got too many of the rules. And all the kids are like, did he just say that for real? Yes. But kids, I'll tell you, this is not your job to figure that out. I'm talking to your mom and dad right now, and you let God talk to him, to them. He'll do better than you, okay? So I don't want any kids, mom, this guy said. Mom and dad, you say, well, he's from Delaware. He didn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about lessening God's standard one bit. God's law is that you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's law. And that's not a, I mean, because we're sinful and fallen, it becomes a burden, and we don't do it, and we fall short, and so we, we're deserving of judgment. But if you think about it, if you were, if, if your household, if everyone in your house was just loving God with all their heart, all day, every day, and everyone was loving them, each other as themselves, do you think your home would be boring or bad? No, he'd be like, well, this, is, this place is amazing. So God's law is actually designed you know, to, to, to bring joy and gladness, but because of our fallenness, we don't do that. But what we do as dads and moms at times is we, we start, we're like, we add way more rules than what God designed. And so it might, you might need to think, and I, this is, my wife and I have been having these conversations. Like, you know, if you came to my house, you're thinking, this guy said less rules. He's probably like real loosey-goosey as a dad. You know, ask Dustin and Lindsay. Our house is like, my wife's father was a colonel, my dad was a drill sergeant. That's how we roll. <laughs> but what's happening is I'm discouraging my girls. You know, examples like, don't crack your knuckles in the car. Anyone got kids that crack their knuckles in the car? Man, not, maybe not, but man, drive me crazy. It's like, don't crack your knuckles in the car. And then once they've cracked like three of them, they're always like, well, dad, I got two left. <laughs> I can't not crack these, right? 
or prayer. So it's just like a rule. No. And then you get upset if they don't obey you. You know, I told you not to crack those knuckles in the car. I told you not to crack those knuckles in prayer. I heard you in prayer. Or <laughs> I, my middle child, Carolyn, you call her Bug. She's my Bug. She is a real squirmer. And, she, and she's not, I mean, she's eight or nine, so she's kind of getting out of the real squirmy stuff, but she's still squirming. So she is always kicking my chair when I'm driving. Anyone have a kid who kicks their chair when they're driving? So you know what I did? Because I'm an overbearing dad, I made a rule. This week, I made this rule. Karen, you are not allowed to sit behind me. <laughs> so when we travel, you got to sit in the middle. That's the rule. Now, again, that's a little, but that you can see how you might want to investigate. If you, this might be a tendency for you, like, okay, where, where have we gone away, you know, way more than what God's rules are, and now we're making, and it's becoming a burden to bear. Uh, instead of focusing on the heart of the issue is, okay, honey, you need to love God. You need to, it's, and it's not usually, okay, honey, you're not really loving Daddy because you're kicking his chair. It's usually, I'm just not comfortable, so let's knock it off. See the difference? So, you might be an overbearing dad or mom or have those tendencies if you have unrealistic expectations for your children. And my wife says it this way I love it. You confuse your story with their story because you've accomplished something. You're now going to expect your children to accomplish the same or even more. Again, a little window into my life that's kind of in the soccer realm. Like, there were certain things and, that the Lord allowed me to do in that, and it's and so now I instantly transfer that to my daughters, and it's like, I, I honestly think this for my oldest, like, you had better be the best player on that field every time. Like, I'm, that's not a joke. That's what goes through my mind, and I've got to actively recognize that those are unrealistic expectations and overinflated view. The older I get, the better I was. <laughs> type of things but my so at times and when that gets the better of me and I'm not trusting in the Lord in those moments then my daughter doesn't experience the joy of playing she feels the burden of I'm not doing what daddy wants that often leads to harsh criticism and unfair comparison You've got these expectations and so there's a harsh criticism or a teasing that comes into play to try to like motivate through teasing and, and belittling them or the harsh criticism or comparison why don't you be more like your sister overtly or subtly communicating that somehow or subtly communicating to uh, children of another family so you've got these expectations that aren't according to how God has designed and gifted your child but according to you you're trying to read your story into their story and their story is going to be a little different so you might be overbearing and leading them to anger. Overbearing parents, and I said this last night in a different context, but it's similar. They, they hardly ever repent to their children. And just to highlight that again from last night. You're often critical of them, but you're not very critical of yourself. It's the classic religious Phariseeism of the moat in your own eye and the speck in your child's eye. Uh, Ted Tripp, or Paul Tripp said this, that your kids are way more like you than you realize. Their selfishness is your selfishness. Their immaturity is your immaturity. Their pride is your pride. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My sins I see in the sins, or I see in the, in the hearts of my children. So over, if you hardly ever repent and confess your sin, either you're like basically sin-free because there's nothing that draws sinfulness and selfishness out of the heart of a parent like a child. So if you don't regularly repent, I'm just wondering, man, I, I, wanna, I want to learn from you. <laughs> so to kind of sum this one up, overbearing parents tend to use the law inappropriately. They add laws by themselves, and they use the law of God to kind of, it's uh, not the law of God, their own law, so to speak, and then they spiritualize it with God's law, and they kind of, have a heavy burden on the heart of the child. The child should feel the burden of, I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I don't love my neighbor as myself, and I can't ever get beyond that. They should feel that. 
but they shouldn't be more burdened by all of the extra stuff that you add for your own selfish comforts and desires. And so that you, you, as parents, we can use the law, as Paul says, unlawfully. Galatians tells us that one of the primary functions of the law to love God and to love others is that then that exposes our hearts and says, oh, we don't do that, and then it points us to who? It points us to the Savior who did love God above all else by obeying and obediently going to the cross and loving others by hanging on the cross for us. He loved God and loved us. He fulfilled the law. And so the law points us to Jesus, and then our children can find grace, forgiveness, and, and the truth will set them free. That's what the law is supposed to be for. It's supposed to lead us to Christ. But if your rules and law and discipline aren't pointing your children to Jesus, then you're not using the law lawfully and you might be overbearing. The second category for the way fathers can abuse their authority is by being absent. Either other priorities take place, work, hobbies, the like, and you're just not present with your children. Such fathers uh, promote or bring about anger in the life of their child because the child is built in with a design to want and long for, appropriately want and long for relationship with their parents. God put that in them. And when that relationship doesn't happen, it frustrates the child. And the child acts out when they're, when they're younger and they, they do things to get attention. And as they grow into teenage years, it, it, it kind of, I wouldn't say blossoms because that's usually a good idea, but it's, a, it's a, like a negative blossoming into withdrawal or uh, plunging deep into a, a kind of a, a whole different identity than the family or, or multiples of ways that this shows up. But that, that's all the result of a father who wasn't present and those desires and longing for fellowship with their parents has been frustrated and builds to anger and resentment and bitterness. And so these type of abuses of fatherhood, of authority, also result in insecurity. And insecurity is super dangerous for your child because they will look to find security somewhere else, and it won't be you. And you, at that point, it's too late. You won't get to pick what they're finding their security in. We know kids get insecure from an overcritical father. Why? Because they've been told their whole life they're not good enough, they're not good enough, they're not good enough, they're not good enough. And so what do they think? I'm not good enough. I don't feel safe with you. Or on the flip side, <laughs> the absent father's children are insecure as well because he's just not around to affirm, yes, you're good at this. No, honey, you're not good at that, but I love you anyway. <laughs> That's singing in our house. Nope, not going to be your thing, honey, but we love you. <laughs> So it breeds insecurity, anger, and frustration. And so, you know, if you see, if the Holy Spirit's doing anything in you, it's like, well, what do I do with that? As I said, you, you go repent to your kids. That's what you do. I don't care how old they are. I don't care if they're three or four. If they can understand, I'm sorry, you go to them. If they're 15, you go to them and say, listen, I've been... You know, I've been overbearing or I've been absent and I am sorry. You get help in a community group or seek help from leadership here, which I know has been solid and thankful for the leadership here as I've interacted with them. But you repent. You will be amazed at the power of repentance. What does repentance do in your own life? It's the means by which God takes you from darkness to light. And it could be the very means by which re restoration happens in the life of you and your children. You repent. Doug Wilson, I love, he says this, gracious fathers lead their sons through the minefield of sin. So there's this whole minefield out there, and gracious fathers lead and shepherd and disciple their children through that minefield of life, so to speak. Indulgent or passive fathers watch their sons wander off into the minefield. That's what, in, that's what you're doing. If you're a passive, absent father, you're sending your kid, just walk through the minefield, Billy. Go ahead, Susie. Good luck. Now, they might make it, but it's got nothing to do with your intentionality and design. Legal fathers chase them. <laughs> they're chasing right there, and they're, well, yeah, they're trying to die. That's what legal dads are doing. I think it's a great way to understand 
how we interact with our kids. Now, let's turn the corner. Those are things that we may need to repent of and to change by God's grace. But what is the po- what on the positive side? Are we, how are we to disciple our kids? And I would say three things that we need to do in discipling our kids in the Lord. And that phrase, in the Lord, is kind of a full, pregnant, dense phrase. Uh, it kind of sums up a lot of things that Paul has been explaining up until this point in the letter of Ephesians. He uses the phrase, in Christ, or in the Lord, or in him, like probably 50 times in the letter to the Ephesians. And it has multiple um, nuances to it. And so the first part of it is kind of the, the first two of the three I'm going to tell you is the kind of what. What do you teach your kids in the Lord? And then the last one is how you do it. And so the first two are this, is that you should let the Lord speak the good news to your children. That's what you do. And then you also tell them the plan of the Lord. So that's what the what of in the Lord. How do you bring them up in the Lord? Well, you, you teach them the gospel of Jesus. You actually let Jesus teach them the gospel. And I'll tell you what that means in a second. And then you teach them the plan of the gospel. And if you were there last night, this is kind of the converting gospel part and telling them the story gospel part. And then the last thing is, I'll show you how that's supposed to happen in the Lord. So what do I mean when I say let Jesus or let the Lord speak the good news to them? Look at chapter 2. This is one of my favorite realities about being a Christian. When you are a Christian, you are placed into Christ. You are united with Christ. And actually, when you think about, well, what does it mean to be saved? You should be thinking to be in Christ. So how am I going to bring my children up in the nurture and admonition in the Lord? Well, it's because the Lord is in you that you can do this. So look at chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, and he came, that's Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So this is very interesting. This is where like kind of meditating on the Bible helps you. So you say, okay, Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off, meaning those who were in Ephesus. When did Jesus go to Ephesus? Never. Never left Palestine. So how can Paul say that Jesus preached peace, which that's the gospel. You know, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. The gospel. So Jesus comes and preaches peace, meaning I have died on the cross for your sins and risen again, and now you can have peace with God and peace with one another. That's the good news of the gospel. That whole unity thing that you guys have been working through and with and the song that you sung, that happens because Jesus' gospel is a gospel of peace. Peace with God and peace with man. So Jesus comes and preaches the gospel of peace in Ephesus. When? And the answer is, Never, except through Paul and other Christians, Epaphras and others, who preach the gospel in Ephesus. So here's the truth of the matter, is that when Jesus' people who are connected to him, you are so connected to Jesus that when you speak the gospel, guess who speaks the gospel? Jesus. I'm telling you that if you believe that, that would change how, you, how, you, how often and how regularly and how excited you are about preaching the gospel. I know right now, not because of me, but because Jesus is in me, he's preaching good news to you right now. Do you guys believe Jesus is here? In what way is he here? He is present in his word and he is present in his people. And as his word is faithfully proclaimed, he himself is preaching. This is so dear to me. When I was seven years old, I became a Christian. And my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Button was his name, and he had a huge gut. And as a seven or eight-year-old boy, he would let us come into Sunday school class on the way, and you could just punch him and then take your seat. <laughs> it was awesome. He could do a handstand. He could do backflips. He walked up. He was amazing. I thought this guy was amazing. And he drove these big tractors and stuff. It was awesome. Not tractors, the construction um, bulldozers. So Mr. Button told me that I was a sinner, that Jesus could save me if I would pray and and receive him. Guess who was in that room that day? The Lord of glory. Mr. Button was no tremendous theologian. I mean, theologians don't let you punch him in the gut, okay? 
Something else must have been going on to open up my little heart. Jesus was there speaking to me. And so dads, I, in my own self and for you, I don't understand why we don't take the opportunity to speak that gospel to our children. Tell them that they're sinners, but tell them that Christ died for them and rose again and that they can be forgiven and restored and redeemed and have joy and peace in him. Tell them over and over and over. Tell them, because when you're telling them, you are, in a sense, giving the opportunity to Jesus, not that he needs it from you, but you understand what I'm saying. You are giving Jesus the opportunity to speak to your kids. You say, I want Jesus to speak to my kid. Who would, who, what parent, what Christian parent wouldn't say that? Well, then you know what you should do? You should open your mouth, and Jesus will speak through you. But it's not just that Jesus speaks through them to kind of bring them into Christ. Look at chapter 4 and verse 20, and this is a bad translation in the ESV. So, I love the ESV, but this one could be better. It says in verse 20, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard, and it says, about him. In the Greek, there's no word for about there. It says, you heard him. Verb, you heard, direct object, him, autan, that's it. You heard Jesus, is what he is saying, and it's that same idea. And you were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, and this is what you were taught, to put off the old self and to put on the new man. And so I don't have time to, we don't have to get into all that, but basically, not only do you want your children to come to know Jesus through the gospel, but then you, Jesus continues to teach your children, is that as you tell them, okay, this is the old way of life, this is sinful behavior, and this is the new way of life in Jesus Christ, as you do that, that maturity process, you can have confidence that Jesus is with you to help you, not just in the converting of your children to Jesus, but also in the growth and maturity of them. It's like, wow. So moms and dads, if you're going to disciple your kids in the Lord, then be encouraged that Jesus himself will do the discipling as you pursue them by teaching them the gospel and the ways of Jesus every day, all day, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you eat, when you play when you work. So that's number one about discipling your kids. Number two, you need to tell your kids the plan. You need to tell them that God has made known to us the plan. That's chapter 1, verse 10. As a plan for fullness, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. The Father has made known the plan to us that he's going to unite everything in Jesus, that Jesus is going to be King of kings and Lord of lords. And so your kids don't just need to know that cognitively. They need to know that experientially, that Jesus is the king of this house. Have you ever told your kids, you don't have to say it like I say it, but, you know, like, like this house, Jesus is king. And so we roll how he says. Okay? That's how we say it. That's the plan. Now, there's more to the plan than that. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 22, 22, 23, is that Jesus is the king over all things right now, but it's currently only being expressed and experienced in the church. The church is the place where Jesus rules and reigns. And so, the, so what you want to be teaching your children is that everything's coming under the authority of Jesus, and you get to experience that now in the church. And so, how, I mean, has anyone ever heard how often kids kind of grow up in church and then go away? What are the numbers? You guys familiar with that? It's like 60, 70 percent go off to college and leave church. That's one of the reasons why is because you haven't taught your children, we haven't taught our children that the church is the place where Jesus reigns. And the place where Jesus reigns is a great place to be. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. I was made a minister of this gospel. The grace was given to me. To me, though I'm the least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, that's, that's what's going on in the church. The church ought to be a place, one body, many gifts, many members, where there are untold riches of wisdom and knowledge and joy and blessing. So don't just go to church, be the church. Get in a life group, love one another, serve one another. And when your kids see that, they see that as part of the plan. They know the ways of the Lord. So teach them the good news and teach them the plan that God is ruling and reigning in the church right now. And the church is designed to be a light to the nations to reach others for Christ and bring them into the church, the body of Christ.
That's a high calling. A lot more could be said. Let me finish up. The last. That's what you would teach. That's, that's your goal. You want to saturate them with the gospel, connecting them to Jesus, and saturate them with the plan of God. And how can they use their gifts and abilities to be a blessing and serve in the church now and as they grow and mature? Lastly, how are you going to do it? It says to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Where are you as a father or as a mom going to get the resources that you need to nurture them, which means love them, be patient? I mean, that's like number one, like so easy to be impatient with our children and not to be critical and not to be harsh, to nurture them. Where are those resources going to come from? And where is the (coughs) wisdom (coughs) going to come from? to be able to teach them and, and warn them appropriately? And the answer to that question is in your Father in Heaven. The way, dads and moms, that you are going to be able to nurture and admonish your children appropriately so that they know, love, and trust Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength is because you have a Heavenly Father who is nurturing and admonishing you. And I am absolutely convinced that for dads especially, myself included, I often can view the Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, is He's basically to the point of exasperation with me. Mike, I have forgiven you so many times already, and I'm like right on the edge. And that's how I think God treats me. And so then, is it any wonder that then that's how I turn around and treat my children? Listen, I've forgiven you for this like a hundred times, Hannah. It's, you should know better by now. I have had enough of this. Or you're just like, listen, I'm, done. I'm, I'm just not even dealing with that anymore. You can bounce back and forth from being overbearing to absent. You can be both. And you think God's like that. God's just basically, well, you know, you're just kind of on your own now, Mike. You know, I, I've told you what I was going to tell you, and now I can't believe you're still struggling with that. And of course, I don't say that. I know better theologically, but that's what I feel in my heart. God, where are you? Are you here Are you listening? Are you helping? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Are you absent, God? Or is he up in heaven just basically kind of grinning and bearing and like, yeah, that's my son, but I'm kind of disappointed with him. Yeah, he is what he is. I think we, I think in our fallenness, we tend to think that way about God and Ephesians blows that out of the water. So this is what I prayed in the beginning and this is what I want to close with now. It's just that you would feel the heavenly love of your Father. Chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He opens up this letter with massive praise. Praise God the Father because He has loaded blessing upon us as His children. It's not like, oh, well, this is the son I ended up with. He starts saying, no, he chose us, and he called us, and he adopted us. If you're God's child, it means he specifically adopted you. He wanted you in the first place. You weren't looking for him. He came looking for you. He wanted you. And so he came and got you. And he did that to the praise of his glorious grace. And then, not only did he want you and adopt you, but he wants to lavish you with blessing and grace. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together. By grace you have been saved. He raised us. You have been raised and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Why? So that in the coming ages, here's God's design as our Heavenly Father to us as children. Here's what He's going to do. He's going to show us the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what your, this is, the Heavenly Father is looking down at you and He said, I adopted you, I wanted you, and I am going to load my blessing on you forever. Do you believe that, dads? Because if you believe that, then that is definitely going to affect the way that you treat your children. 
And not only did he have that design in there, but this was at great cost to him. We often think that it was at great cost to Jesus, and it was because he suffered. But the father sacrificed his son. There was pain. Like when Abraham offered Isaac, there was that gut-wrenching pain. But the father endured the separation from his son so that he might make you and I sons. So not only is his love generous and immeasurable, and he's got a good plan. He's got good works for us plan. But his love is sacrificial for us as well. And I'm thinking, man, that's all I need. That's what I need. I need that kind of nurture and love and admonition to be able to love my daughters the way God loves me. So I need to open my heart up to the gospel love of the Father and receive it. But it's not just that God loves us generously and sacrificially, and he does, and that's amazing. But he also admonishes us. He gives us wisdom. Look at chapter 1 and verse 8. Well, we read verse 7 just because it's fun. In him we have redemption. That's amazing, right? We just skip over that. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So the, a father's responsibility is to use his authority to love and nurture his children, but his authority is also there to guide and direct. It's not just, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, but this is what's good, this is wise, this is smart. Buy that, don't buy that, do this, don't do that, that wisdom. And so God is our father, he hasn't just loved us and held back his wisdom, he's made known his wisdom to us in Jesus lavished upon us he told us the plan and he continues to pour out look at the prayer in chapter 1 and verse 18 and we have to close here but paul's praying in verse 17 of chapter 1 that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may do what may give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so god opens our eyes to see and receive his love in jesus but then he also pours the Holy Spirit out upon us to help us, teach us, and comfort us, to guide us in paths of righteousness, to lead us through the minefield of sin and of life. And so moms, and especially dads, as you think, you know, don't provoke your children to anger by being an overbearing, stingy, critical father, or by being an absent, passive, indulgent father, but turn your eyes to your heavenly Father and see how present He is. See how uh, full of generosity and blessing He is and see His wisdom and receive His wisdom. And having been filled with that, you are now able to pass on to your children the love of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus and you disciple them in the ways of the Lord and you do find in this life blessing and joy. No greater joy than to know that your children are walking in the truth and the name of Jesus is honored and glorified because as people inside the church and people outside the church, they look and they say, okay, there is God's grace. God must be doing something in those people. And many people see and they glorify your Father in heaven. So, for the good of our families and for the glory of God, let's disciple our children in the ways of God by receiving his heavenly love. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you've been so generous and sacrificial with your love and your wisdom. Help us to pass it on to the next generation for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.